some of those images that we often use when we talk about this sort of thing. These images talk about actively devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, teachings of demons. And Paul, Paul doesn't necessarily imply that this is what their aim is. He doesn't say that. He doesn't necessarily say they're doing this on purpose. That's what they're going after. But he is saying that this is what is going on in the case of these particular people who are who are committing errors that require baptism and who shouldn't do this. And uh, it, it's just very easy for us to hear this and read this in scripture and hear this talk about demons and spirits and say, okay, well this you know this is just some sort of ancient worldview going on here and this is just something that Paul is permitting. This shouldn't be something that we don't really believe anymore. But I, I think there's something more going on here than just saying here's some kind of notices from other places in scripture. In fact, I don't think this is just Paul looking for a hyperbolic, exaggerated, over-spiritualized way to make this point. Um, instead, it seems that Paul was teaching to this group in the church, causing people to squirm, causing people to reject, causing people to look down upon the gospel and the sufficiency of Christ. I mean, when he sees this, he's saying, this source of wisdom we never showed you, Paul. This source of wisdom we never showed you. So there's, there's, there's this spiritualized realm behind all of this reality that he's talking about. But he's using this sort of language not because he's trying to be hyperbolic, but because he's trying to show what's actually going on in the heavenly realms behind the scenes in this group of people in Corinth. And um, there's a similar thing that goes on in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, where Paul, Paul's talking about the spiritual realities that were at work, that were at play among the Ephesian people before they came to know Christ. And uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says this, and this, this is the Ephesians, by the way, this is the same place, this is the same group who might have read both of these letters. He says this in Ephesians 2, verse 1, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He talks about who you are before Christ, who you are after Christ. Previously, following the prince of the power of the air, that's the demon. And you just think to yourself, that's, that's not what was going on with you before I became a Christian. That's not what's going on with me now. There's a spiritual realism at play, right? I'm, I'm, I'm following the prince of the power of the air. You don't understand what's really going on here. And Paul seems to be telling us that, no, there, there isn't really a neutral thing here. There isn't really just kind of a neutral standing back and not involved in the more sort of uh, spiritual warfare that's going on. You're involved in it. Just by virtue of your existence, you're involved in it. He's telling us it doesn't work like that, even if you're not aware of it. Um, I was thinking there's a, there's a thing from Bob Dylan, a song called You Gotta Serve Somebody. And it's basically something that Bob Dylan says at the end of every verse. If you're going to have to serve somebody, maybe the devil, maybe the Lord, you're going to have to serve somebody. That's, that's the basic thing. So again, there's two ways to this sort of thing. There's a way of life and a way of death. Now, as we're looking at this, why, why is he talking about forbidding marriage and staying from certain foods? Why is there some stuff going on? The answer is we're not really sure, at least according to the author. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of ear reading, kind of looking at this as though you're looking at an ear to kind of reflect it off somebody else when we're reading these letters. Uh, we, we look at things Paul says, and then we try to figure out what's going on that made him say what he said, and so we're kind of playing this little game here. And really, it's, it's like we're hearing one end of the telephone conversation and trying to understand what's going on. But um, at the very least, what we can tell Paul is dealing with here is people who seem to be teaching that marriage in and of itself, certain foods in and of themselves are bad, are holy, are not good. You need to avoid them if you're going to be in good standing with God. Look how 
don't miss it. This first section in an interesting sort of way is reminding us of worship liberty, of a worship freedom, a freedom that's bought by Jesus Christ. And uh, he's saying it's because of the cross of Jesus Christ, the gift of Christ Jesus, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now many of us have heard this whole idea of trying to go to church on Sunday. He's saying that because of these things, you've been rated, you've been freed from these restrictions, from these expectations that you're to go to church. And I'd say, I can't go too far with this. This isn't a sermon on liberty and conscience. That's more of the sort of thing that other biblical texts have deal with that. This isn't a sermon on liberty and conscience, but I want to spend my little time on it just a little bit. Very important just to remind ourselves that self-control, self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Talk about liberty, and we're not talking about freedom in some sort of arbitrary defined sense, random sort of freedom to belong wherever you want, whatever sort of way. We're not talking about that. We're talking about freedom to belong to Jesus Christ. Freedom that comes from the gift of the Holy Spirit that leads to So, moving on to uh, the second section, starting in verse 6. Let's look at that. Right at the start of verse 6, Paul reminds Timothy, if you put these things before everyone, brothers and sisters, You'll be a good servant of Christ, being trained in the words of faith, the good doctrine, which means the good teaching that you follow. Right away, you notice here that Paul's solution to all this false teaching, the solution to this false teaching isn't, hey, avoid all sorts of teaching. You know, it, it, it isn't that. It's because you're trained in good teaching, you'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ. And I, as I was studying this, I just think this is a good word that a lot of today need to hear, because the surprising word for many Christians, the surprising word for many, is to kind of, in the modern world, we still live in the shadow of this sort of uh, enlightenment narrative that says, okay, the more learning you have, the more education you have, the more you dig into things, the more you look underneath the layers of things and find stuff out, the more you'll realize God isn't necessary, you're not going to need him, so you better just kind of keep yourself safe and stay back home on Sunday. And so it's, it's kind of this fear-based thing that we kind of hide away, right? A lot of people don't think of that, but so many do. That this sort of thing, the more you dig, the more you learn, and you find stuff, the more you think, you know, whatever, whatever. This is just such a dangerous kind of mindset. And we notice how Paul deals with this. As we, we, we see throughout these past little letters, again and again, he's emphasizing not no teaching, but good teaching, good doctrine, sound instruction, faithfully passing on the words of the faith. So Paul cuts across, he cuts right across this either-or distinction that we, that we so often make between uh, teaching, practice, doctrine, godliness. We kind of make these distinctions. Well, there's some people who are all about this, and some people who are all about this, and we kind of split them up. But he cuts right through that, and he says, listen, good doctrine. Because this distinction is one that Paul has never, ever come close to making. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, My prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve complete. All tied together. All tied together. Sincere devotion, humble faith, genuine love, it has to be linked together with this good teaching, this good understanding, sound doctrine, growth in knowledge, growth in discernment. All together. And we, we see how these are linked together even more as we continue on here. Timothy, verse 7, he says, Have nothing to do with brethren in silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. So this is interesting contrast. If you just go 
gospel to show that we're false, proving that the gospel itself is true, not half of what it says. Not half of what the gospel proclaims again and again throughout the entire New Testament. So, there, there are times, and you have I think a lot of you know this, there are times in the New Testament where the authors will say, okay, this is what some people believe is wrong, this is what you need to believe is true. So that does happen.
workouts, early mornings, financial sacrifice, travel to contests, physical distress, train, 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 train. And then you slip and fall in your last lap and you're entirely unprepared to go to school. Like, I don't, I don't know how it works in some of these other sports, but I'm just thinking, like, they wipe out, like, they're fucking four years, like, they messed up their last one, it's four years, they're going for the next one, and they don't get a, uh, a tryout. So, and you know what, like, and, and some of you people are, like, fantastic, you're thinking, oh, it's a great experience, like, it's all worth it, maybe it was, maybe it was, maybe they wouldn't trade the most free for anything in the world, and that's totally fair, it's amazing, you know, what you get, awesome, but for a lot of people, when you watch them, you just wonder, in all of this, was the payoff really worth it, was the payoff really equivalent to all of the sacrifice, maybe, but, but what Paul, that's kind of what Paul is getting at when he says this in verse 8, godly training is of some value, it's of value for a little while,
sort of attitude every single way when it comes to things. You take one of these things and you want to go with it. And, and I think he's missing the point on who he's calling Gideon and his writings. So the fact that he calls Gideon a primitive pocketbuster is a very short history. So brief, so easily removed. In one chapter, the same chapter, shows that we need to pay close attention to what's happening here.
this isn't simply a matter of men just being, you know, be godly and just let the chips fall where they may. All you got to do is just have to be godly and submit to God. Paul, Paul knows that he can be this. He knows that it's worked on him. Because he knows that without this rich truth, without this teaching, without this encouragement, the definition of godliness itself would be simply very superficial and kind of corrupt. So, that's what he's being encouraged to do. And that's, that's how we do what we do. Trusted in his life. 
Thank you. 